This podcast is recorded in front of an unwitting audience. This is True Crime Kent. And we are back up. Episode 29 or 30 or 31 or 46. I don't know. We kind of lost count. It's close to congratulating you on on your success. I don't know how close that congratulations is. My numbers are all messed up here. It tells me here that this should be episode 30, but I'm too lazy to go and see what number we're at on iTunes. Yeah. Well, you know, the the Ed Kemper thing was three parts and then we had a TCK extra. There's going to be another one of those coming up soon. I just don't know. Do that. Does the Ed Kemper, does that count as one episode? No, well, as far as numbers go, when you throw it out on Apple Podcast, um, each one of those is a separate. Um, you know what, though? I'm just going to go check the host, and I go click here, and I push a button, and, oh, this is episode 30. Congratulations. Right. We made it. You did it. You this made it. This has been fun. I've enjoyed doing TCK with you, and, and that's a wrap. Yep. So. Bye. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Beep, bop, boop, boop, swear word, swear word. What? What? <laughs> One more time around the pen. Uh, I'm hoping we'll be, we'll be here for at least another 30 episodes until yeah. Spotify pulls us for spreading <laughs> misinformation. Yeah, and Mr. Information. <laughs> That's what I like to say. So today we're talking about another cannibal. We're going to go into a, I call him the Japanese Jeffrey Dahmer. Because he's mm, he's a cannibal and he's um he's uh, Japanese. If he's a Japanese cannibal, do you think that he eats his victims and then is hungry like thirty minutes later? That and he eats them with instead of a fork, chopsticks. Yeah, that would be challenging. Because I don't know about you, but the buttocks is a heavy piece of meat. It's yeah. funny you bring up the buttocks. Oh no, because that was one of his most desired um cuts oh great say yum the man we're talking about today probably half the listeners have already figured it out is it's spelled i-s-s-e-i and mm-hmm. what what you want to say is asaya but it's pronounced isay yeah isay sagawa we're talking about isay sagawa mm. and i know this is the part where i usually say hey op have you ever been a cannibal or something like that but we got a lot to talk about today so we're going to skip that portion and just jump right into the story of this fucked up little weirdo. Weird. Yum. Let's do it. So Issei Sagawa, he was born prematurely, obviously. To a, I would, what, what percentage of preemies would you say end up being cannibals? Oh, gosh. I, I'm going to put it at a high number. I didn't mean to make you uncomfortable there. I'm sorry. He was born prematurely to a wealthy family in Kobe, Japan. Wealthy. Okay, wealthy. Probably a wealthy. Wealthy preemies, I would say probably 90% of wealthy preemies. What about poor preemies? No. They're all They don't survive, do they? No. They're, um, they're the food. <laughs> already going into it. That's good. Born <laughs> prematurely to a wealthy family in Kobe, Japan on April 26, 1949, and it is said that he was small enough at birth to fit inside the palm of his father's hand and that's a that's a japanese hand which is smaller i would say than 
the average hand. So that's like a really small baby. Wow. And be and beautiful hands. If we're gonna just say all the things, let's let's front load. I forgot. Let's front load this because of the nature of this episode. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna make a lot of Asian jokes. So if you're easily offended, um, I would just go ahead and fuck off right now. <laughs> if, if I were you, I'm just but- trying to be sensitive to people. And I guess if that makes you mad, then you can continue to listen. But if it makes you mad, just don't let it make you mad. Thanks for letting me know. Bye. Don't be mad. So I'll continue this by myself. (laughs) He, (laughs) so he was premature, Japanese, wealthy. He immediately, though, developed uh, a condition called enteritis. And that's a disease of the small intestine. But after many injections of potassium and calcium and other stuff, he uh, finally recovers. Lots of EMs that he was ingesting. Yeah, just a lot of vitamins and minerals, and and he, he finally recovered. Now, his father was a man by the name of Akira Sagawa, and he was the president of a, of a company called Kurito Water Industries in Tokyo. So his father's a hot shot, very wealthy. Uh, his family has some pull, I would say, in the region. Sorry, I was using some chapstick. I was putting on chapstick. (laughs) And that is the least masculine thing that a man can do is is put on chapstick. Hang on. I'm about to shut you down because look at the name on it. It it says Manscaped on it and the color is cherry red. (laughs) Shut your mouth when I talk to you. (laughs) Um, uh, No, it's 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 flavored like Manscaped, like all the the was it pine trees and tar no they only have like one scent that's like a super amazing one tastes like boar pelt <laughs> trying to trying to masculinize lip balm <laughs> there really is no way is there i was also no. thinking tastes like gunpowder and lead <laughs> as i was putting it on i'm like there's no masculine way to put on chapstick none yeah find me one picture from the 1800s of a coal miner putting on chapstick. Just one. You can't. I think you get your ass kicked for that. You might. In the coal mines. <laughs> Honestly, I don't even know why I put it on. I didn't really need it. My lips are soft and supple the way they are. Oh, gosh. Now, Issei's mother, her name was Tomi Sagawa. And she had actually almost had a miscarriage with little Issei after she had fell down a flight of stairs. So, I mean, we almost dodged a bullet here. So close. <laughs> so close. So close. Just maybe one more step right in the midsection. We could have avoided a lot of pain and heartbreak later, you know, 30 years later. We should talk about abortion sometime, you and me. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's always a, a non-dividing topic. Uh, so Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I feel like we handled that gracefully on nine one one calls. I do, I do. Everybody seemed happy. Um, you know, I fell one way, you fell the other, so both sides were kind of represented. Yeah, and uh, I feel like everybody walked away happy, which was uh, is is a tough thing to pull off in a subject like that. Yeah, and we and we are still friends. That's important. And we're still friends. That's the most important part. <laughs> Just so everybody, uh, in case you only listen to True Crime Kent and you want more Kent, Kent, uh, Kent was the, the host on 911 Calls Podcast and 911 Calls Plus, 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 if you want to check that out. 
Yeah, and I'm going to be, uh, I think, in the future, probably on there more than more often. A lot more often, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's going to be fun. And we'll talk about things like COVID. And Martians more. Presidents and Martians and maybe gun control. Yeah. And, uh, the wall. <laughs> <laughs> All the things. It's going to be fun. Yeah. I'm kidding. We're not going to talk about all those things. On, I mean, we might. I don't know. You'd have to. It, it wouldn't be on the main episode. It would be in the uncut the on uncut, Patreon. Yeah. So if you just listen to the regular, not it won't be on there. But. Yeah. So if you want to be offended, you got to pay. Yeah. Uh, also, I apparently our our mock nine one one call was a super big hit. So we almost killed a guy on a freeway eating his sandwich. He almost died choking on his bread. Which, you know, you only hear about in nightclubs. But, um, so we might have to reprise that, that part. Anyway, I am so sorry. I totally took us And off. that was all ad lib. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Never bit right. of it was ad lib. Yeah. Gwyneth, Gwyneth and the whole thing. <laughs> Maybe it's a grassy nose situation. <laughs> uh, a white church. <laughs> Issei had one younger brother, June Sagawa, who is extremely unimportant to this story. And you'll never hear me mention him again. <laughs> The Japanese, they're a very quiet group of people, right? They kind of, they're not ones for, they wouldn't do something super narcissistic like start a podcast. <laughs> so, I mean, that's probably, he's just a normal guy. He probably goes up, gets up, goes to work. He's probably got a family, I would assume. He, he kind of falls out of the picture after this one mention June does. He's, so good for him. He's probably really relieved about that too, I would think. Yeah. 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 It seems like June... It, it's a, he wasn't a preemie and he was born into a wealthy family and he didn't have enteritis when he was born. So he just kind of went ahead and lived a Japanese life. He also was named June. So, you know, I would want to just kind of fade into the background with that name. Yeah. If you're a dude. Yeah. Probably 200 years old at this point. Because <laughs> when you live on a diet of fish, rice and vegetables, that's really all the body needs. That's the main food groups and they don't live on cheeseburgers and coca-cola like we do over here in marlboros and so they live to be like 250 years old yeah and i wonder if if people made fun of him you know like they would say like debbie does <laughs> did they say like june may <laughs> like have you ever heard of debbie does dallas no i was talking about little debbie like ever oh little deb yeah little yeah. little diabetes yeah you actually sent that meme to us, that was, I believe. That was funny. I like that yeah. one. Like three in the morning. Sorry. It's when I me and Jack. It's when I talk to Deadbug. Deadbug messages me then and he's like, What am I doing again? <laughs> it's fun. And that's ninety percent of the conversations that you have with the operator is him saying, hey, I got an idea. <laughs> what am I what am I doing? What are you What am I how am I how am I part of this? Uh, now, Issei's mother, Tomi, she was ve she was a helicopter parent, smothered him, right? Wouldn't let him scrape his knees and fall off buildings and stuff like that. She doesn't have to worry about ever writing a song, Tears in Heaven, because she was a helicopter parent. Yeah. <laughs> and because of her overbearingness, uh, he relied on her a lot. He kind of, he was never, at any point in his life, super independent. Um, so he relied on her a lot. And when he was a toddler... This is a little oddity in his life that would later influence his, his behavior. 
When he was a toddler, his uncle celebrated New Year's by dressing up as a giant boy-eating monster. What? <laughs> and then he would, yeah, it gets better. And then he would chase Issei and his and his brother June around and threaten to eat him up. And his father got to play the hero, Akira. He would pretend to be the hero in this story and he would try to stop this boy-eating monster. But in this story, even though they control the narrative, his father was always going to lose. So he would lose, and then the monster would sweep the boys up, June and S.A., and take them over to a huge, large cast-iron pot where he would pretend to start cooking them. There's actually, this is actually common over there. You know, like uh, like uh, Krampus is like the anti-Santa? Yeah. Yeah. It's he, uh, Well, there's a couple. Baku is one. I wonder if he was Baku or was he Jiki, Jiki Ninki is the other one, boy-eating monster. I think in my research it was Jinky Nink. Yeah, it just sounds dumb. Which is also a Japanese Teletubby. If you if you tickle me, that's what I say too. Jinky Ninky. Jinky Ninky. Stop it, Jinky Ninky. I'm never going to do that again. That sounded. I say something similar during during <laughs> while I'm doing sex, and that's Jeepers. Jeepers. I say that a lot. Oh Jeepers! Oh Jeepers! I'm in heaven. Oh, jeepers. I'm going to arrive. Oh, jeepers. According to Issei, uh, this game that he played with his uncle had a lasting effect on him. And because he ends up being a big reader just a few years later, the books that he ends up gravitating, gravitating towards, they always involve like cannibalism or people getting eaten by monsters or dragons, that kind of stuff. Oh, which as a boy is normal. You know, that's yeah, pretty normal. Yeah. I loved Goosebumps. Yep. I read everything right. I could find on alien abductions. So I soaked up anything by R.L. Stein, Fear Street, Goosebumps. I loved scary stories to tell in the dark. I can I can relate so far to this. Yeah, me too. I read everything by David McCullough. Don't know who that is. History. Did he write Flowers in the Attic? No, he wrote Truman. <laughs> Close. He wrote, a bi- bi- he wrote a documentary book about uh, the Brooklyn Bridge. Closer. Yeah. Hmm. <sighs> I say loved. This is going well. I'm feeling good about this so far. Uh, I say loved Hansel and Gretel. Obviously, that's a book about capturing children and fattening them up by a witch and then eating them. And he just loved the idea of eating children and people. But uh, he, he often fantasized about this witch capturing and fattening up and eating children so that's a lot of fun a lot of fun fun stuff now i say was and always was a very highly intelligent and loved school and learning so he did well in school he didn't have any friends though um he was very introverted and shy and because of this he got really into books and literature he was you know socially awkward and so far this is all starting to sound like the origin story of the operator honestly (laughs) you don't you don't know now, in 1955, oh, at six years yeah. old. Double die verse. Here we go. Did you know in 1955 there was a penny mm-hmm. that's called the double die obverse or the DDO, as we like to call it? It's yeah. very famous. The DDO. If you had one that looked terrible. Very famous. Even if you had one that was all beat up and looked terrible, mm. it had value is $784. 
$784. If you had one that looked like my wife, or as they say in the coin world, extremely fine, EF-40. <laughs> yeah. I call my wife EF-40 all the time. It uh, would be valued at $2,278. $78. $2,000. That's not even enough to buy a vehicle. Yeah. Where Pretty neat. Was Penny. I? Double die. Not double D. 1955. At six years old, his first cannibalistic desire was in the first grade. He's sitting at he's sitting at in the lunchroom, and he, a handsome boy. And that's not my words. That's his words. A handsome boy uh, shows his thigh, right? And he thought he saw that thigh, and he thought, "Hmm, that that looks delicious." And that's a quote. That's a direct quote. Mm, that looks delicious. When he saw this, quote, handsome boy's, unquote, thigh. Makes you wonder at this point in his life. And, and, and you know, at this point, like the discovery moments in a cannibal's life, when he looks at the thigh and says, hmm, that looks not delicious. Uh, when he says that, do you think he's looking at it and thinking the skin looks to like you know the skin and all that looks delicious the skin the meat everything he loves the, all of it yeah because you wonder had he already like uh debrided a an animal of its skin to see them no the we muscles. as far as as we're aware in all the 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 books that i read or the articles i read the documentaries i watched there's never anything about about i say harming animals okay growing up all right so we're still i think that's more of an american Sign of a serial killer. Ah, okay. So maybe it's not universal. Okay. And I just made that up. I'm sure it's universal, but it feels more American, doesn't it? It does. I think if we knew our history, we'd find that other countries, serial killers, cannibals, hurt animals, but seems very like an American thing to do. And, you know, I say to this thigh thing, when he sees this handsome boy's thigh and says, and that looks delicious, I say, fair enough. I've said in the past, it's documented on this podcast that I've had this exact thought about my wife's thighs. Well, me too. So I see her thighs. I'm like, mm. yeah, me too. I mean, your wife has nice thighs. <laughs> if I came up on her, you know, passed away in a room somewhere, I'd probably be like, oh no. And then I would eat her thighs. Wow. So, <laughs> and you said the same thing. You feel the same way, right? Yeah. Your wife has nice thighs. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> now, and this is typical in the Japanese culture. His household didn't talk about sex. It was like a taboo subject. Um, and this was, you know, like I said, this is typical in Japanese culture at the time anyway. Um, at the time, sex is kind of like they handle it like families do in the Bible Belt here in America, right? It's like it's not something you do until you're ready to have children. And even then you do it with the with the lights off and pe both people have their socks on no eye contact, and you play Celine Dion in the background, and there's a noise um, requirement that can't be topped, can't get excessively noisy. The headbed, the, the headboard is not to move. No. And that first time where all the clergy's there, too, they're, like, you know, approving or disapproving. Yeah, they're, like, umpires. Yeah. yeah. Strike. The balls are not to hit the taint at this velocity. Or you are therefore enjoying it, and it is not for it is now for more than than reproduction. We won't allow it. Ten yards penalty. That is a foul on the play. They throw a flag in. 
inner conception, three inches. The ball is the man's. Well, I mean, you know, that being said, look at them now. Look at Japan now. This is what happens when you try to, you know, repress sexual urges, when you try to repress society, society sexual. Now they got tentacle porn. They're shitting in each other's mouths. Like, that's what happens, you know. You start repressing the society sexually, next thing you know, they're shitting in each other's mouths yeah. and recording it. So Yeah. I've seen it a million times. I mean, one minute, no, you can't have sex. You can't show your penis or your vagina. Next thing you know, they're shitting in each other's mouths. That's that's how this happens. That's the way it happens with humans. I, I, I literally cannot wrap my head around how any of that is remotely arousing. I just can't. No, you can't get your head around tentacle porn. You mean like mukbang videos where? No, no. The Japanese love tentacle porn, which is porn involving tentacles, like like the tentacles of an octopus. Oh, wow, that's creative. It is super specific as well. Very specific. Yeah, I, I, yeah, can't see how that would be. Nope, can't see it. I don't think it happens. Still healthier than shitting in each other's mouths. Right. Yeah, they've got one up on the Germans there. Aside from maybe salmonella. I'd imagine you can get salmonella from tentacles. Who's he? New Jersey guy? (laughs) When he reached puberty, he got his first erection, right? Mm. And uh, he thought something was bad wrong with him and that he was sick because he he had never had his penis just suddenly get shocked and just stand up like all of a sudden. And I'd imagine if you don't know what an erection is, one would be, the first time you get one, it's very scary. I wonder if the like, Japanese, like if his parents, when he went in, he's like, I got an erection. They say. No, he didn't say that because he didn't know what an erection was. Well, what if he did, just for the sake of the joke, I got an okay. I, I got an erection. And they say, what are you going for? Pre- president or secretary? What erection are you in? And he was like, no. And then he just walked away. I think he kind of hit it, hit it because he thought something was wrong with his dinky winky. And I can like, I, I mean, yeah, that would be scary. And he didn't understand masturbation at first. And so, and this is very documented. He would just like pull it out and he would let the dog lick it. And he seemed to really enjoy that. Oh, wow. He would let the dog lick his thing. Mm-hmm. Now, documentaries and everything, they keep calling this bestiality and whatnot. But I think it's just kind of flirting with the idea. Well, especially if you don't know, like, what's what's up. You don't know what's going on and everything. I don't know. I, I don't think it's bestiality until, let's not get into yeah. this. I'm surprised you don't want to get into something on TCK, but I am 100% on board with not getting into this. So one. I don't think it's bestiality until you're actually breaching the ass oh, of the wow. animal. <laughs> we went there. Okay. Right? Mmm. Uh, mmm. Yeah. Or like the penis is entering the mouth of the animal, but just like presenting it and then letting the animal lick the erection. I think that's dancing around the porch. Never really going in the house. I ain't gonna let nobody. What? It's just like a dog blow. Keep on. So when he finally figured out what, <laughs> when he finally figured out what masturbation was. He would fantasize. So what he would jerk off to was the mental images of somebody preparing and eating him while he cranked one out. So they would be cutting him up and like eating pieces of him while he vigorously. That's what he was imagining was in his head. 
That's what was happening while he was jerking off. It's definitely some ism in this guy's head. Cause like, that's, that's, that's like way down the line. You know, you get bored with sex. I think you get bored with porn. You get bored with all the things you end up in like violence, you know, and like, you know, depravity. He went right there. Like, he's like, what's this? Yeah. Oh, it's my wiener. And then he's like, I wonder how crazy my thoughts can get. <laughs> What's interesting about this guy is there's not a, a clear-cut point where his sexuality, or not sexuality, but his sexual interests and this intertwining with the violence and the cannibalism kind of... Because in, in a lot of serial killers and stuff like that, murderers and, you know, masochists, like there's a point in their youth when these things accidentally kind of merge. You know what I mean? And they get mixed up and then... But there's not really... Aside from his uncle pretending to eat him i mean he didn't think his uncle was hot or anything so like i don't know it's very confusing like it, it's not really clear cut how this this these things happened in his head well i wonder also if it, culturally they're like you said they're very they're private they're quiet um a lot of it may have to do with you know pride and that uh, you honor and all that uh it makes me think that maybe there's some stuff that's missing from the story you know, just just as it's been told, the yeah, way, I hadn't thought about what that. he's willing. Well, to, you know, you know, you bring that up, and I should also point out that in interviews, I say is very open about the fact that he had a perfect childhood. He claimed that both of his parents were loving, caring, nurturing, fantastic people. Uh, everybody that knew them said they were fast, fantastic people. He had everything growing up that one could want. Very wealthy, perfect mother and father. He had a great childhood. Mm. So unless they're lying about that, which I believe, I, I, don't, I don't think that's the case. Yeah. You know, there's not a point where. Maybe it could have been something. just developmentally because he was premature. Maybe there was you know, developmental mis mishaps in his synapse. I don't want to also, you know, spoiler, this man is walking free today in society. Wow. So there are uh, plenty of interviews out there on YouTube with him. And I think that he is a, a textbook's sociopath and he's he's not too old to figure out how to do this kind of thing again 1955 he was six he's like 72 yeah he's like my parents age and my my dad could eat somebody yeah my mom has probably so in 1964 at 15 years old he does reach out and he contacts a, a psychiatrist for therapy but he wanted to do it over the phone he didn't want to do this in person and because i say was so shy you know he's a he's a uh, he's a, he's an introvert. He refuses to show up for in person sessions, which is the only way that the psychiatrist agreed to talk to him. And because because of that, he wrote therapy off altogether. He's like, okay, well, I can't bring this up in person, so never mind. But at fifteen, he does reach out, and that's in sixty four. Hmm. So he's trying for a minute. He's desiring telemedicine, which is just barely coming into in vogue today. That's interesting. Yeah, huh. yeah. Now, when he reached high school, he moves into more serious Western books, uh, Western books, you know, which are, you know, I guess English speaking. That's what I always think when when people say Western, right? Would you would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. From the West, from the Western Hemisphere. That's yeah. I mean, you could also say Louis L'Amour books, but eh, probably narrow your audience. They, they referred to the one book in in particular was called War and Peace, and that was by Leo Tolstoy, who is Russian. By the way, I don't I don't know if that's Russian. Yeah. No, yeah. It's been translated in English. It's it's a very popular book. 
But uh, he wore he he read books like War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy, and he would read the descriptions of the female characters in those over and over and over again. And uh, he liked the white girls, and he referred to them as angels because of their pale skin and long legs, which is a, uh, I believe, problematic line of thinking in 2022. It sounds like a very Japanese way of doing it, where you and I might, at that age, we might grab the Sears calendar or the Sears catalog and find the underwear model section and be like, wow, check out those lacy boobies. And he's yeah. like, <laughs> he but gets still, his rocks off. That's reading. still better than jerking off to text. <laughs> I was going like, to say, that's, that's another level, man. He's like reading Tolstoy and getting off. That's, yeah. wow. I mean, there you're a good author if you can describe a woman so well that a guy can jerk off to it. <laughs> no kidding. I mean, I was going to say it. it it's uh You'd be you'd be you'd be hard pressed to find, you know, somebody at Vassar College that can get off on reading something. <laughs> Actually, you know, I'm saying that, but now I'm remembering those novels for women that always had Fabio on the cover on a horse. Oh, Harlequin romances, and those really got women crazy in the nineties. They're just oh, oh, yeah. Golly gee, Willikers, my bottom end is moist. Throbbing members like, all over the place, just. You know. It's always the same man in every one of those novels, and he's always riding a horse. Yep. And his shirt is never buttoned. Nope. And no one is ever wearing proper leggings to be riding a horse. Everybody has to get off that horse chafed, especially if you're not wearing any underwear. I mean, we're yeah. talking just a mess down there. And you know his balls smell like horse sweat. Yeah, horseback. Do you have any idea how much a horse sweats when you're riding it? It's just soaking wet. And on a beach, so it's sort of this marshy... Kind of like, you know, half sweat, half mollusk kind of <laughs> smell. And he seems like the kind of man that would put on lip balm. He would. As well. He would. <laughs> Idiot. So Issei, with these novels, becomes obsessed with tall, white, white women with Western features. So... You know, he he he's a, he becomes obsessed with American actress Grace Kelly, and if you're under the age of sixty, uh, you probably haven't seen anything she starred in. Uh, I would say to 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 anybody wondering who Grace Kelly is, she was like the the fifties version of Lena Dunham, but if Lena Dunham wasn't Lena Dunham at all, and instead Jennifer An Aniston as as well as a princess. Lena Dunham is as close to like a baked potato as you get as a person, I think. Yeah, she also freely admitted to molesting her younger sister when she was little. She's very, um, she's very, I can't stand Lena Dunham. What's funny is she admits to that and then um, life just goes on for her, you know? Yeah. That's just. Well, when you fall a certain way, things like that are allowed. Yep. You just got to be like super vocal about things that upset you and then whatever you do is okay, as, no matter how atrocious it is. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Uh, so he she, she get, he gets obsessed with Grace Kelly and white girls, crackers. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, what I'm saying is if, if say I listened to hip hop in the in like the, the early 2000s, he would be cruising the streets in his six foe blaring young Jeezy's white girl. I don't, you remember that song? Nope. No, I do not. You know, we keep that white girl, Christina Aguilera, my jury too loud, baby girl, I can't hear you. I need about 50 of them bricks of the topic. They know we run the streets, men and boys, best stop it. Wow. 
It's a song about cracker Sounds booty. like a church I used to go to in Alabama. <laughs> Very. Yeah, it's just a song about pale butthole. Wow. <laughs> Once again, could you imagine if those lyrics, when they were being written, were left on a subway? The police would be called out and forced to try to find the psycho. <laughs> yeah. I'll be honest. I blared some young Jeezy in my younger years for my Camaro to the surprise of nobody. I don't I couldn't tell you who's new rappers and who's old rappers. I just learned that Juice World is dead. Yeah, and they made my favorite Slurpees. I was going to say that's about another victim another business that went down because of COVID. Seriously, so sad. But like, did you know like like Eminem thinks Juice World is like the goat. I don't understand it. I don't know who Juice World is. I don't either. But he's dead. And he was around like at OG times. Not OG, I don't know. Anyway, I don't know what I'm talking about. As far as I'm concerned, hip hop today is nothing like it was when we had, you know, Jay Z and Young Jeezy and Young Jock and DMX and Eminem and, you know. Yeah. Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg. MGK. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. I know his name. <laughs> and he turned into Boy George. He did. What, so when in my career, when I get, how famous do I have to be before I start just wearing pastels? Straight up, just that's all. How did Juice World die? Is he a diabetic? Hey, Siri, how did Juice World die? She doesn't understand my accent. A life struggle for me. <laughs> how did Juice World die? I'm going to go with gunshot. Yeah, it's too long to read. I have no idea. We'll just go ahead and say, I can't Google it. Can't Google it. <laughs> it's too many. The articles are too long, believe that or not. <laughs> every is it taking you to like a is it taking you to like a smoothie shop in portland <laughs> you got to pick your power-ups before it'll give you the price yeah no all the articles were like juice world started out as a young boy just like all boys and i didn't want to read the whole thing to find out how he died i'm so, sure he was a great young man i'm sure I'm sure he was with a name like that I don't care how good he was. He couldn't hold a candle to Dr. Dre. I was a huge Dre head. That's probably true. If I knew what that music sounded like, he's probably. But enough about black fellows. I say was interested in, in white girls. Yeah. He loved, he, all he cared about was white girls. Specifically, like I said, Grace Kelly and tall, attractive women triggered his desire to eat human flesh. And that's an unfortunate mix-up. Yeah. Odd pairing. Now, like I said, he would masturbate to fantasies of the Western actresses that he obsessed over. For instance, he would jerk, jerk off while imagining stroking the skin of Grace Kelly before eating it. What I'm saying is with Grace Kelly, he was a stand. You know, we're talking about Eminem. He was a stand before the first stand. Yeah. Yeah, he really was. You're right. Dear Grace, I wrote you, but you still ain't a Kyron. <laughs> I refed my semen, my blood, and my home phone at the bottom. I sent you free writer back in autumn. You must not have got him. Probably was a proper room at the post office or something. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's how it went. <laughs> something like that. Uh, <laughs> Some other, we, are we good yet? I think that's it. That was a wrap on TCK. <laughs> nice. Some other scenarios he would fantasize about was sneaking in on one of these tall, strong women while they were showering and then sneaking up behind them and strangling them. Even though... Whoa. 
you know, because of his size and demeanor, uh, the even an average sized woman could absolutely just beat this guy to a pulp and make him eat his own dick. <laughs> Crap. <laughs> Difficult to to do, I believe. He would probably like that, actually. That's a good <laughs> fantasy for him. Being dominated by just a big white girl, her ripping his dick off and making him eat it. I would love that. Yeah. I don't uh, know what's going on. I really don't. I, I feel like this has went off the rails. Well, I keep talking. I'm not letting you get, get to the meat of the buttocks, meat. so I'll, I'll shut up. He does get to a point, though, where he can't get aroused without thinking about death or cannibalism. Like I said, you know, these things, they become entwined, the erections. He immediately relates that to cannibalism and death and violence. And this is common with serial killers. Hey, Op, what's something that makes you really fucking horny? Uh, As an adult, he was four foot nine inches tall with thin legs and small hands and feet. So, little bitty. (laughs) (laughs) You knew that I had no response. So you just moved right on. You knew it. <laughs> so he was uh, at his height, at his at his absolute tallest. He was four foot nine inches tall, little bitty guy, even for the Japanese. And he had thin legs, thin bird legs, little bitty hands like Donald Trump, and feet, little bitty small feet. So uh, he also walked with a limp and was ugly as shit. <laughs> So, wow. wow, yeah, all the all of that. So he happened. had a limp. He was short, and he looked like an Asian ET fucked Vern Troyer. <laughs> Sorry, I, I know right now that left wing listeners are getting all mad now and screaming that's racist because all Asians look alike. So you must be saying they're all ugly. <laughs> Uh, I find that very offensive. As a progressive, I detest these accusations. Uh, I, actually, a lot of the porn that I used to watch was Asian in nature, and I think that by because of that, I'm not racist. There you go. I think Asians are hot. I'm just saying I, I say Segway was not hot. He was not a hot Asian. Yeah. He's ugly. Couple. He kind of looks couple. like, have you ever seen that show American Dad? Yeah. You know the alien? Hey, yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what I say Segway looks like. He looks just like that alien thing that lives in the really ugly. Wow. Wow. He just didn't have a whole lot uh whole lot of opportunities in the being alive department. It sounds he like. did not short, had a limp. Um <laughs> yeah. Socially awkward, really ugly. It's crazy. He was smart. He had that going for him. Yeah. That. In college, he pursued a degree in literature, and that just means that you have an extremely deep understanding of Harry Potter and flowers in the attic, shit like that. <laughs> you devote your whole life to understanding, you know, Beatrice Potter. <laughs> so, I guess that's what you want to do. In 1974, when he is 24 years old, he's a, he's now a university student in Tokyo, and and he's out hanging out. When he sees a, a blonde, white German woman walk by one day, and she's wearing a skirt, and he catches a glimpse of her big, meaty, pale thighs, and he immediately becomes obsessed with this stranger. Uh-oh. This guy really had a thing for thighs up. Like, what part of a lady or a man just makes you really horny up? 
I'm a boob. Uh, I'm so a he boob. said, quote, when he saw this woman, this German woman, he said, quote, when I saw this woman in the street, I wondered if I could eat her, unquote. That's a direct quote. So, uh, yeah, he sees this white, blonde, German fucking cracker walk by, and uh, he's like, yeah, I've got to. I got to chat out on those thighs. He begins stalking her, and he, discover, he discovers that she actually lived in the same ground-level apartment that his grandmother had once lived in. So he knew the he knew the layout, right? That gives him a huge advantage in terms of being a murderer. And he also discovers that she doesn't close her windows at night. So this is ground-level, windows are open. Are we talking about her body still? Ground-level, windows open. He knows that the basement matches the first No, this is floor. the actual enclosure that she lives in. Oh, okay. I thought you were making euphemisms for her. No, no euphemisms at this point. This is her apartment. It's ground level, and she leaves her windows open at night. And also, she lives in the same apartment that his grandmother had once lived in, so he is very understanding of the layout. Yeah, all that. So after stalking her for a few weeks, he eventually goes to her house and waits for her to fall asleep outside, and then he climbs through an open window where he discovers her there, sleeping naked. This uh, lady is very comfortable with being vulnerable. Apparently. She has no qualms. Now, his his plan was to knock her out with an umbrella that he had and get a knife from her kitchen and then cut a, pus, a piece of her butt cheek off and then run off into the night and eat it later. So he didn't want to kill her. He just wanted to take some of her ass and, and eat it. He wanted to eat her ass, but not wow. in like the traditional manner. He wanted to eat her ass like away from the rest of her. Yeah, yeah, as you would. Uh, but he didn't want to kill her. She would just have to wake up missing a big chunk of her ass. Uh, and like I said, he was going to knock her out with an umbrella. And imagine trying to knock somebody out with an umbrella. You're just. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you're like, what I'd... the fuck? What <laughs> the f- I would Pick something different. Oh, by the way, just imagine waking up out of a dead sleep with a sharp pain in your ass cheek. Only to find a small Japanese man hunkered on your window steel on your windowsill like Gollum from Lord of the Rings <laughs> dangling a piece of your ass in front of you and then he jumps down and runs off into the night that would be so confusing what the f- the fuck is going on my my ass hurts who's this little man why does my ass hurt <laughs> well i got to say in the dark you might not even think that's a man i mean it, that is a small human being and then give him the, the you know, kind of the kludgy, is it a man, is it a woman, undefined features and everything. Ah, that could be really scary, wandering around your house. When he gets into her bedroom, you know, he sneaks into the window, gets into her bedroom. Japanese, I'm sure you've seen them apartments, are much smaller than like, they're very, the Japanese are very useful of their space. And they can make small, you know, Americans were like, oh, it's small living. I'm going to buy a trailer or a, or a storage unit and convert it to my home. <laughs> I live in a four foot by four foot enclosure. The Japanese have been doing that forever. They have. They're like, here's a hotel and here is your tube. Yeah. <laughs> you literally get it. They don't the need tube. the space that us pompous Americans need. <laughs> no. So whenever he tries to get around her while she's sleeping, his knees brush her belly. And she wakes up. She sees him standing there and screams. And then he fled holding an umbrella like a five-foot Japanese Mary Poppins. (laughs) (laughs) I think the funniest part of the story, though, is the fact that when she screamed, 
This is true. I say tried to rush her, to quiet her, but she caught him with his hands and easily overpowered and subdued him. <laughs> see, that's what I'm talking. Could you imagine how creepy that would be? You see him coming at you. You just reach out. You grab him by the neck, and he's like, like a chihuahua. Yeah, like a, <clears throat> like a gremlin. He's swinging the umbrella. <laughs> Rock hard dick. <laughs> Oh, gosh. So much visual here. He, she was able to subdue him and then and hold him until the police got there. And he, wow. was, he was arrested and charged with attempted rape. And he never tried to correct the authorities because, because he felt that was probably a lesser charge than what his true intentions were. Yeah, he's got to roll with that one, huh? He's like, oh, rape? Yeah, I was going to rape her. Yeah. <laughs> It was really wanting to just eat her ass, but not, like I said, in a traditional fashion. It's weird. It's weird. He was interviewed by a psychologist from the police department then, and that psychologist determined that he felt he was a danger to society, but the charges were eventually dropped, and he was released without repercussions at all because of his rich daddy who had pulled some strings. So he's back out in the public. Mm. No strings attached. In 1977, he does complete his master's degree in English literature in Tokyo. And he then decides to attend the Sorbonne University in Paris, France, to earn his Ph.D. in comparative literature. So we're getting like super deep into V.C. Andrews. Um, we've, you know, Gary Paulson, probably Stephen King. Um, Stephen King's sure. in that list? Probably. Oh, <laughs> Before that, though, he goes on a so before he moves, he makes his move to Paris, France. He goes on a luxury cruise, so he's kind of celebrating getting his master's degree in English, English literature here in Tokyo. He goes on a luxury cruise by himself aboard the SS Stella Solaris to Greece. And one night on this cruise, I say ends up sharing a dinner table with a jolly fat butcher and his wife. Now, he did befriend this couple, and the man ended up actually giving, I say, tips on how to butcher meat. You know, how to separate meat from tendon, how to separate meat from bone, how to dissect a body. He gives him everything he he needs and everything that he will later use. And a fun fact about the Stella Solaris, um, if you took a—so that's the ship that he was on, right? The SS Stella Solaris. Mm -hmm. If you took a cruise op between 1953 and 2003, so— the Stella was built in 53 and dismantled in 2003. So if you took a cruise between those time frames, you may have wrote about the on the Stella Solaris yourself. Weird. I I don't know if I would have. I'm not I'm not a big fan of giant boats. Oh yeah, ever since Titanic with Leo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet. I'd, I'd say it predates that. I, I ever since the ocean was made, not a fan. That's a long time. Yeah. I think the ocean was like the first thing that was ever made. Yes, ever since then, I've just been kind of had kind of an aversion to it. Okay. Yeah. Well, what I'm saying is this old butcher was kind of the splinter to, I say, his Ninja Turtle. Okay. Oh, uh, I see. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. On April 26, 1977, on his 28th birthday, Isaiah makes the move to Paris, France, to attend, Sorbonne, to attend school at Sorbonne in Paris and further pursue his educational desires. Now... <laughs> He, he claimed that when he got on the bus there in Japan to head to Sorbonne, he looked back at his mother one last time there at the bus station, and he saw in her face absolute concern and pure apprehension 
as if she knew something horrible was about to happen. So she, she was kind of clued into how, I mean, she was very in his life, like you said. So yeah. there's not much of a chance that she didn't know what was up with this weirdo. Yeah, she knew this was only going to end horribly. Yeah. But I mean, I'd at this point, her. he's 28 years old. Yeah. Well, what are you going to do? Yeah. Now, once he arrives in France because of daddy's money, right, he gets an apartment at, okay, so the apartment is, this is the address of the apartment. It's 10, and I'm going to say it as uh, an English person would pronounce it, 10 Rue Erlanger. And that's spelled R-U-E-E-R-L-A-N-G-E-R. So I see that. I say Rue Erlanger, right? 10 Rue Erlanger. Yep. Yeah. But it's pronounced in French because they like to make shit difficult. Rue Elanger. Yeah. Rue means street in French. Does it? Yeah. Well, it's pronounced Rue Elanger. Which sounds just like something I'd wear out of Victoria's Secret. It does. Yeah, beautiful language. Yeah, French. it is. I took French for two years in high school. Why? I don't know. In hindsight, I wish I'd, t- I'd taken Spanish. It would make using ATMs a lot easier. When I was a kid growing up in my high school, they were still telling us, you should learn Chinese. That's the that's the language of the future. If you want to do business in the in the future, you're going to need to know Chinese. Spanish is the language of the future. Yeah, I'd kind of have to agree with you. I think the only reason we'd learn Chinese is to be like, no, please give me back my country. You know, I think I can <laughs> learn that line pretty easily. So he gets his apartment here at 10 Rue Langeais, and he is now surrounded by beautiful, white, scantily clad women. And uh, this is something he was not used to in more conservatively dressed Japan, right? They they dress more conservatively, in, but in France, they're they're letting it all hang out, and they're they're all white. So he's like a shark stuck in a a pool full of bluegill. <laughs> a little very shark. little Actually, shark. Let me take that so, back. It's like a yeah. little bitty shark stuck in a pool full of giant bluegill. It's like a baby piranha, like a micro piranha, teacup piranha, if you will, in a thing full of bluegill. Yeah. Giant bluegill. Giant bluegill. Normal size. Let's just be honest to him. It would still seem giant. He eventually purchases a 22 caliber rifle for home protection. And I would argue not an ideal weapon for the prevention of a home invasion. A twenty-two caliber rifle. You would be better off with a sock full of rusty old master locks. He pr- <laughs> that would hurt, man. That yeah. would. Re- oh, that's a visual right there. You imagine getting hit with like that. Son of a bitch. Whoa. I'd rather somebody shoot me with a twenty-two caliber rifle. Yeah, I was gonna say he probably felt like he had a howitzer in his hand because the week before he was like, oh, "I must get rid of this sombrero. <laughs> get something more powerful." Palafur. Palafur. Parafur. Parafur. A twenty two caliber hunting rifle you're trying to and this is a small apartment, right? Just trying to it's just not a good thing in a close combat scenario and tight hallways and stuff. You just don't want to the barrel to come out four foot before you do. <laughs> right. A twenty two would be very heavy for this guy anyway. You yeah. know. He actually had to get a wheelbarrow to bring it around. <laughs> yeah. So now we've got, this is basically a little bitty baby piranha 
with a rifle and a pool full of giant bluegill, and now suddenly the little piranha, everybody's laughing at it before, now it's got a rifle. Uh, just really quick so that people know, twenty two is like half half if that is powerful is like a nine millimeter which is really common if you want to know how big the 22 bullet is walk outside find a four-year-old look at their fingernail that's about the size of a 22 yes. bullet you can throw one and it, and it would probably do as much damage as shooting it from a rifle <laughs> did you know they bounce off water if you shoot yeah. it at the yeah, surface they do. you can water. hear them ricocheting yeah. stupid yeah stupid bullets <laughs> But if you shoot that thing at point blank, it's going to do some damage. Yeah. 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 So, As would anything. Yeah. By 1979, so in less than a year, I say is bringing home prostitutes almost every single night. And he's doing that with the intention at the time of killing and eating them. But he, he doesn't have the, the spine to go through with it. And how he would do that, he would, so he would wait for them to go to the bathroom to wash up, right? And then mm. while they were there with their back turned, he would pull a gun on them. But he could oh. never actually pull the trigger. And the hookers would turn around, and then they'd, there'd just be this awkward moment. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing? Nothing. Come on. <laughs> a rookie to my rifle. Nothing. Rutsch pray. And then there was uh, like an awkward moment, and then they would leave. Uh, he claimed <laughs> that he, and the reason that he never pulled the trigger is he, he would later say, quote, the world I lived in would shatter to pieces the moment I pulled that trigger, unquote. So he knew was, that. Yeah, pretty self-aware there. I think that that should later get him out of any kind of uh, insane plea. Right? Yeah. If you're okay. completely aware. And and with, and with and not doing it. because Also, all of the premeditation. Let's be honest. I mean, this guy's... And there's so much of it. Yeah. But we'll find out Daddy ends up getting him out of any situation. Uh, that he finds himself in. Wow. 1981, when he is 32 years old, Asay meets a fellow student by the name of Renee Hardevelt. Now, she was a brilliant 25-year-old blonde student, and he sat next to her in literature class. He claimed that even though they had never spoken, he instantly fell in love with her and could not stop thinking about her pale white skin on her arms. And he would draw pictures of her from across the classroom. So that's kind of creepy. Yeah, That was before we had a thing like, phones or you could just snap a picture you had to draw it right <laughs> simpler time 81 have you ever seen the instruction manual that comes in every box of tampons uh no i haven't i've got to say i haven't yeah all right moving right along i say around <laughs> <laughs> I, what the fuck was that what the fuck was that i say uh I say I ran into her on the. <laughs> I have, I have seen. Okay, it. thanks, yeah. Op. Okay. I say I ran into. <laughs> I say. <sighs> so they've never really gotten to know each other. Uh, I, I say here, and and this young lady Renee Hartvelt, this beautiful twenty-five-year-old white blonde, uh, but he does run into her one day, on the bus home from school. So he sat next to her and broke the ice with conversation about school. Now, look, we don't know exactly how this bus ride happened, right? We know that he ended up sitting next to her on the bus, but I imagine it went like this, okay? You ready? Yeah. So I say, I say he gets on the bus, right? 
And as he makes his way back, he would pass seats where there would only be like one of the another student sitting in the in the seat, right? And he would be like, mm-hmm. he would look at him and and look at the empty seat, and the person sitting there would say things like, "Seats taken," and then he'd go back to the next one, and the and the kid would put his arm there and he'd go, "It's taken," and then he'd <laughs> walk past the next one, and the kid said, "Can't sit here." And then, uh, and then I imagine at this point, if you asked him, Isaiah would say, quote, You know, it's a funny what a young man recorrects. Because I don't uh, remember being burned, and I don't uh, recall what I got for my first Christmas. And I don't uh, know uh, when I went on my first outdoor picnic, but I do remember the first time I hear uh, the sweetest voice in the wide world. <laughs> and uh, that's, when, that's when Renee said, you can sit here if you want. And then he, he he would say, I had never seen anything so beautiful in my raft. She was a rocking angel. And so I say I sat down beside her there and she said, yeah. what's wrong with your leg? Because they were so short and he had a limp, right? And he said, oh, nothing at all, thank you. My legs are just fine and dandy. I've caught on. I've caught on at this point. <laughs> Look, I made all that up. Forrest Gump. You did, oh, you. Did, oh, okay. I, was that Forrest Gump? No, I, I don't believe so at all. Actually, I believe it was if Forrest Gump and Cartman had a baby. I'm nothing at all. Thank you. My regs are just fine and dandy. You sound like Cartman. <laughs> so that may have been Forrest Gump. Could have been. There are some similarities there, I'll admit. What's wrong with your legs? (laughs) And then she said, are you stupid or something? (laughs) And he said, my mother says, a stupid is as stupid does. (laughs) I wonder if that's possible. I wonder if that's possible. Could you use Forrest Gump to define every serial killer? I'll bet you could. I'll bet you could. I'll bet you could go back and use use clips from Forrest Gump to that explain might be my new life. goal for every TCK. I'm going to work Forrest Gump like the exact because that's the exact outline for Forrest Gump, just with a, a racist Japanese accent. Yeah, we should do that. We'll just call the segment "Will It Gump," and then <laughs> then you give it a shot. I say did say that she was absolutely jaw droppingly beautiful. And extremely friendly. And I think that this young lady, Renee Hartvelt, just felt bad for him. I think that's what that yeah. ended up being. She felt Which, bad for him. Now, a little bit on Renee. She was born in the Netherlands in 1956 and had grown up in Holland. And I don't know anything about Holland. But when I think of it, for whatever reason, to me, Holland is the widest place on earth. I just picture windmills, flowers, and white people. That's all I think of when I think of Holland. Now, Renee had came to Paris just like I say, to get a PhD in literature, but for her, specifically French literature. Boring. They they had a lot to talk about, though. You know? Yeah. Same interests. Now, the following day in class, the professor suggested that the students meet up after school at a Greek restaurant, and he was just doing that in order to encourage social interaction between the students. And uh, even though I say was not fond of, you know, large social gatherings and, and interacting, he did agree after seeing that Renee was going to be there. So he's like, oh, Renee is going to be there. And <laughs> and then he was like, yes, I could a Greek. 
That evening at the restaurant, some of the students expressed. <laughs> You're not sorry. I know. That evening at the restaurant, at the Greek restaurant where the restaurant where they all met. This is a fucking murderer. So fuck you. Uh, some of the students expressed interest in trying Japanese food so he's finally interacting with the other students they say hey you know we would like to try Japanese food but because of this I say ended up inviting them over to his apartment the next day so he could prepare them all an authentic Japanese dish and you know you've seen me and Marco every day I would say Japanese food is probably legitimately 50% of my diet I eat uh, sushi and poke bowl at least every every other day, but a lot of times every day. <laughs> so I love it. Probably my favorite aside from maybe Mexican food. I love it too. I um I actually got a gift card to a polka restaurant and I haven't poke polka. I don't haven't eaten I haven't I haven't used it yet. What's your go to sushi roll? I like the crunchy rolls. Okay, I enjoy those too. I know some people they they like the littler rolls. They're like, oh, give me give me two of the smaller rolls. No, I'm like, if it's the size of my forearm, that's the one I want. Yeah, it's so American of you. I know. I like the rainbow roll. I like rainbow rolls. Yeah. Uh, uh, what's crazy is I don't like the taste of fish. I don't like fishy fish. Oh, I love it. But love I'll it. eat. I'll eat. I'll eat tuna, seared tuna, ahi, you know, raw tuna. I'll eat that stuff all day long. I've gotten to where I prefer it raw. Really? Yeah. Uh, just over time. I know it's probably an acquired taste, but that's honestly how I prefer tuna and, and salmon, too. Are we talking about sexual proclivities again, or are we back no, to- No, this is food. F- just food. talking about food. Okay. By the way, what makes you super horny? <laughs> when the time came for the meal, whenever they all got there- the only one to show up the next day, predictably, was Renee Hardevelt. Crazy. Because she felt bad for him. So he spent all this time making this meal. He's expecting 10, 15 people. And only one person shows up, probably like every social function that you've ever organized up. Yeah. Probably. Uh, so Renee Hardevelt's there. But I say wasn't prepared to be alone with Renee because he was, like I said, he's expecting a large crowd. This probably saved her life. They're hanging out in his apartment, they're eating. She revealed then that she was trilingual. And I don't know if that's how you say people that can speak three languages. I know that bilingual is two languages. I just assumed that the next step was trilingual. No, trilingual. You got to be careful with trilingual because that that is somebody that either identifies with having or has three different genitals. You got to watch it. got to watch no, what you say. Hold on. Three. What's the third set of genitals? You've got the tower. You've got the tar pit. Vagina. And you've got you've got the Did you just refer to vaginas as tar pits? And you have the church hole. You know, church oh, hole. Oh, you're 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 saying the butthole is a whole different Oh, the the tar pit is the butthole. And I don't the know. The church hole is the yeah, vagina. The church, well church hole Yeah, tur- church holes would just what happens behind the curtain, you know. Okay. Church We're talking hole. about Catholicism? No, I'm talking about genitals. Okay. I don't. Okay. Yeah. I'm lost. Me too. Weird. She could speak three languages up. She could speak English, French, and German, and she could do all three of them fluently. And she had three genitals. And she had three genitals. That's now canon. Yeah. She had three genitals. Yeah. So I say saw this as an opportunity. 
He's like, hey, she can speak German, she can speak French, she can speak English, and him wanting to learn uh, a lot about the Western world and white people. He offered to pay her to tutor him in German. And I say he's paying her really, you know, daddy's paying. Mm. Daddy's paying for a tutor now to tutor, I say, in German. And, of course, being a poor college student, I remember being in college eating ramen noodles. She took the job. So after this, the two become friends over the next couple months. She tutors him regularly, with, and he's using daddy's money. He does start writing her love letters up and constantly is inviting her to concerts and exhibits. She accepts, but the friendship to her was nothing more than friendship. She was not sexually attracted to him. How could she be? <laughs> yeah, you know. right. Look at pictures of this guy. I mean, I guess there's somebody out there for everybody, but he needs to be looking for another E.T., Again, very Forrest Gump-like, you know? At least Tom Hanks is a, is a good-looking dude, though. It's true. It's true. He, You know, she's not sexually attracted to him. She was just being nice more than anything. And like I said, you know, he's paying her to tutor him. Uh, she did enjoy, though, conversating with him. He's, like I said, very intelligent, and he can hold an, an intellectual conversation. Mm. On many occasions, I say a plan to kill her. Uh, every time she would come over to the apartment, it was always in her brain, but he's like, in the beginning, just couldn't bring himself to do it. He would always cook Japanese food for her. And when she would go to the bathroom to, watch up before, to wash up before eating, he would sometimes go, just like he would with the prostitutes, and get the gun and stand there waiting for her to come out, only to change his mind and quickly hide it before she came back into the living room. So there, were, really? there was a lot of pre-gaming yeah. you know, escalation, you, one, could, one could argue. Pre-funking. So on Tuesday, June 9th, 1981, Hasea Segua decides it's time to go through with what he wants to do. Finally, he, he's going to do it. This is the big the big game. Renee comes to Hasea's apartment for a German lesson like she always did. Like I said, he decides this is the night. Now, while she's sitting there at the desk with the book cracked open, he brings out his trusty 22 caliber rifle, and he pulls that from a wardrobe cabinet. It's like a, you know those cloth things that, you get it like Dollar General. It's got like a felt wall and felt ceiling and felt front on it. Yeah. Yes. Okay. He had it hidden in there. He slips it from that, and uh, he finally gathers the courage. Quietly, she's sitting there at the desk, quietly raises that rifle. It's like two inches from the back of her head, and he pulls the trigger. Click. Misfires. No. <laughs> I mean, yay, but also, what? Somehow she didn't notice, though, that this rifle had just misfired right behind her head. Her nose is still down in the book. When it misfires, he quickly puts it back in the wardrobe and just kind of awkwardly sits down next to her to finish his German lesson. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Oh, gosh. That's A few crazy. moments later, she gets up to go to the bathroom, and I say in his weirdness and creepiness, takes this opportunity to smell and lick the seat where her ass had been. Ugh. Weird. So, yeah, this is a creepy little thing. I picture, even though he's not hunkered over, I always picture like this hunkered backed, skinny legged thing that's like, <laughs> I feel like if he made noise, that's what it would be. Have I, have I ever, or have you ever seen the Aphex Twin music video titled Rubber Johnny? Yes, I have. Like him. With the giant head. Yeah. All cra all this 
just probably one of the most disturbing music videos that's ever been made. Yeah, I would agree with you. That's the one when everybody's like, what's the most disturbing thing? I'm like, well, I've got a couple. Here's one. <laughs> and then they leave. I honestly always wondered if Rubber Johnny had inspired. There's a character like that in the Hills Have Eyes remake. Yes. I wonder, too. I mean, it, it's so unique. And it's the one in the Hills Have Eyes looks so close to Rubber Johnny. Yep. I agree with that. But yeah, that video is disturbing. But I picture Isaiah not having that big head yeah. in the back. Right? He's just kind of hunkered over and he's not in a wheelchair. Right. His knuckles drag the ground and he's like, and he's just like <laughs> smelling the seat and licking it. Gross. Two days later, Thursday, June 11th, 1981, Isaiah invites Renee back to his apartment under the guise that he needs her help recording some audio of German poetry that his professor had requested. So he says, hey, I got a professor that's wanting me to record some German poetry. I need you to record it. You know, that old excuse, I've used it a hundred times. It's the oldest trick in the book. Yeah, who hasn't? We have all. When Rene arrived at, the, at his apartment, at first they sit Japanese style like they always did in the floor. They sip tea. Uh, but I say this time had spiked her tea with whiskey. And he was hoping he could get her semi-drunk so that she would be, like, less resilient to misfires. Even though she was completely unaware of the misfire that happened two days prior. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. So after they're sitting there Japanese-style conversating for a while, I say drops a, a verbal bomb on her when he tells her that he loves her and he wants badly to have sex with her. Uh, apparently, uh, I, apparently, Renee, though, was like, uh, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm good on that. I'll just read the poetry, if you don't mind, the German poetry that I'm supposed to be here and not having sex with this cave-dwelling creature, because that's what, I, in my head, he is. Yeah. On a lot of fronts, like like the guy personality-wise, like, I can't imagine, you know, like a college scene where all the kids are collected in a room and everyone's wearing their comfy sweaters, and little tiny glasses of Chianti, and they're talking about Prusk. And, and, and he, I can't imagine like how his voice sounds or that he would be in that room, like waxing philosophical, although that's no. his, that was his college education. I can't see him doing it. And people being like, good points to say good points. Oh no. Yeah. No. He's in the corner with a diet Sierra mist hunkered over and breathing heavy. <laughs> just, yeah, just, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All four foot nine. Oh, ah. creepy. So when Renee shoots down this request of sex and profession of love, I say just nods. He's like, okay. And then he gets the book that he wanted her to read from a shelf, puts it on the desk, and Renee sits down there. Now, you're probably wondering how this, uh, uh, there's several pictures of the apartment. The desk is facing an outward window, right? So her back is to the room. Mm, okay. She's sitting there. She's got this book of poetry open, this German poetry. She's reading it into the recorder, so the recorder's running. Once again, while she's sitting there at the desk with her head down in the book, reciting the poem in German, I say retrieves the now freshly clean and freshly loaded twenty-two rifle from his closet. He raises it, points that bead at the back of her neck at almost point-blank range, and then squeezes the trigger, and this time it does go off. Now, I say I claim that Renee never really understood what was happening. It was com completely confusing to her and that he even spoke to her for a minute after the gunshot. So her brain is still trying to kind of gather 
what has just happened. I would imagine this would be very confusing. You're reading German poetry one minute, and then you get shot point-blank range. But seconds later, she slumps forward, her face hits the desk, and then she rows over into the floor, knocking the chair over with her. She dies pretty quickly. I say stands over her, watches the blood pool around her head, and the excitement he claims for him watching her bleed out is so intense that he faints. Wow. And I've never been so horny that I fainted. I've never done either one of those things. I can't. I didn't even know that that, could, that was possible, that you could get so excited that you could faint. Well, the fans of the Beatles did it all the time. I think they were just looking for attention, but yeah, at concerts. When he woke up next to her dead body, he claimed that all those desires, all those cannibalistic urges, the sex, debauchery, were gone. And then he was now just laying there next to her dead body with no urges whatsoever, which is a scary moment. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, no. Like post-nut clarity. <laughs> is, that what, is, that the, is that the clinical technical term for it? I think so, yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. Oh, Lord. <laughs> what have I done? Always let my erections get me into trouble and shenanigans. I had, um, I had a friend who killed himself with a twenty-two. And uh, when they found him, he was he had climbed up underneath an overpass and shot himself. And it was like, you know, he was doing it because of his girlfriend, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, they, they, the autopsy said that he bled to death. Uh, so the twenty two is not, not a catastrophic weapon. So I wouldn't be surprised not. if she was, you know, she lingered, you know, for a minute. And I don't think she even realized that she had been shot. I think it was just right? that moment where before she died was confusion. Yeah, like what just happened? What? Is- yeah, because it's not a it's not a, a catastrophic round. So you'd be you kind of be like, what? Why do I have a headache suddenly? Why is there blood coming out of my face? Somebody across the street snapped me. What what is going on? It sounds about as loud as the gun misfiring. Anyway, it does. <laughs> Tick. Yeah, it's like one decibel higher than a BB gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I say he wakes up next to this corpse now, and even though he's not horny anymore. He, he realizes he has to seize the moment. You know, he's been looking, he's been training for this and, and fantasizing about this exact situation since he was a, a first grader, being alone with a corpse. So he's like, well, I mean, I'm here. I'm in the moment, although I'm not in the mood. We got to go through with this. So he does undress Renee and then rolls her over onto his stomach to, to fulfill his desire of eating, a, eating an ass, but not in a traditional American fashion. Hmm. Hmm. He first, he pulls her pants down, he undresses her, gets her naked. He tries to bite a chunk of her ass cheek off with his teeth, but finds out quickly that his teeth aren't sharp enough to just bite a piece of her ass off because it's not a cheeseburger. Human bodies are very resilient. They are. They are. The zombie movies make it look like you can just bite somebody and tear a chunk out like it's biting a a watermelon. But that's not how it works. It doesn't. What's you know what's interesting is the body is hard to chew. But if you think about it in in a week, in a week, think about how many things that you eat where you just effortless effortlessly masticate right through it. Like I don't do that while I'm eating. Well, you should try it. <laughs> now we know what makes up horny. Makes eating easier. <laughs> but you think about that. Like there's nothing that you really. And you, our teeth can bite through anything like it, it yeah. you know, cause we have omnivore teeth. Yes. 
but to to take a bite of a person and be like, that's really hard to to do. We're pretty resilient humans. Yep. When he realizes he can't just take a big chunk out of her ass with his teeth, he gets a small paring knife and he tries to cut a piece off with it, but that doesn't work either. He gets frustrated, leaves the apartment, goes out and buys a large butcher knife. As you would. So he returns and then he starts, gets back to work on the right butt cheek. And he said that he later said that he, he went with the right butt cheek because he claimed he was afraid of blood. And in his rationale, the right ch- butt cheek was further from the heart so it would bleed less. Interesting. And I don't know how that holds up biologically. Yeah. Holds up biologically, but also holds up like, like, is he really scared of blood? Like, He's going to have to get over it really quick. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. So he st- he takes that butcher knife, starts cutting the right butt cheek. For As smart as this guy was uh, when it came to his studies, his schoolwork and literature, He's probably the dumbest smart person I've ever heard of because he claimed that whenever he cut into the butt cheek, he thought that when that skin, when that flesh separated, he would get right to meat. Oh, right. He thought he was going to, it would be like cutting into a steak right off the bat. Yeah. And he said that he was surprised to find was what he referred to as like fluffy corn. And to anybody that isn't a complete and total dipshit, what he found was fat. That's what fat looks like. Yeah. Fat cells look like cream corn. Yep. So he keeps digging down, frustrated, because that's what an ass is. It's just fat. Yep. He has to dig down. He digs down. He finally gets deep enough, though, that he that he hits meat. And it's then that he he claims he did it with his hand. I, I find that hard to believe. But he says that he tore out a piece of meat with his hand. And right there on his knees beside the corpse, he ate it raw. Yeah, I'd agree, I disagree with that, too. I, I refuse to believe that you just could rip a, rip a piece of meat off with your hand, but whether he used his hand or a knife, whatever, he does get a piece of meat out of her ass, and, and he eats it raw right there on his knees beside the corpse. And he claimed that it tasted like raw tuna fish and that the second Renee's meat got into his mouth, he got a raging erection, like the hardest erection he's ever had. Sort of not surprised about that at all. No, me neither. Because the second, you're also probably not going to be surprised by this because the second he gets a raging erection, he rolls her back over onto her back. Remember, she's naked. And then goes for the piece of meat that he's wanted his whole life the thigh. So he cuts the thigh open, cuts a piece of meat out from the thigh, and eats it as well. And by this time, he is so horny that he also strips off all his clothes and he ra- he then rapes the partially cannibalized corpse. Oh. Yes. Yeah. This is why I call him the Jeffrey, the Japanese Jeffrey Dahmer. He spends the next few days up this little cave dwelling creep holed up in his apartment, just cutting the body up with a knife and an an electric carving knife and eating it. He would save certain pieces of her corpse in the fridge and freezer. And these pieces were just placed on white paper plates and stacked on top of one another, which is a not satisfactory food storage, definitely a, a health code violation. Yeah, I'd say. At one point, he prepares a huge slice of her thigh meat, which is like a, like a human ham, I guess. Uh, and he eats that with mustard. And uh, that's the grossest part of this story, I think. Mustard? No. Humans are like pork and you know, pork is the closest thing to human meat. I would assume it would pair better with maybe an A1. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yes. Uh, or a nice rub, like a, you know, a nice, um, like, like pot, a pot roast rub or something like that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But yeah. mustard? Mm-mm. I'd agree with you. That's actually kind of white trash of him. It could only be more white trash if it was ketchup. <laughs> As he, and white people meat, this is white people meat, so you know he's not seasoning it. <laughs> It'll be too spicy. <laughs> yeah. This salt is spicy. Uh, so as he ate this mustard-covered thigh meat, he would listen to the recording she had made of him of the Joman poetry, and then he used her panties to wipe his mouth. Yeah. So he's sitting there at the desk that she had been murdered at, eating her thigh meat and listening to the poetry she had made and using her panties as a napkin. I, I get speechless at these points because I don't, there's little commentary that I can make wh- because what they're doing is so otherworldly. You could say, oh my gosh, how? But, you know, how many times can you say that, right? He was excited to eat her boobs. Thought he was going to chow down on some boob meat. But, you know, much like the ass thing, for anybody that isn't a jackass, you're completely aware that boobs are nothing but bags of fat. Yeah. That's all boobs are. So he was disappointed to find out that boobs are all fat. And he said that when he tried to cook the boob, it was just very greasy when he tried cooking it. And yeah, that's because it's just fat cells. That's all boobs are. Yeah, they kind of lose all their luster once you start carving into them. Yeah. He then hauls the corpse, what's left of the corpse, to his bed and sleeps with it that night. The next day, he eats her lips, neck, tongue, and nose. That sounds like a Cardi B song or something. My neck, my back, toes, eat my pussy, and eat my, my nose. You remember that song? I don't. Lick no. it now, lick it good, suck this pussy just like you should. Again, right now. lyrics found on a subway. Sorry, neck, you're finding that person, back, putting them in jail. My pussy and my okay. crack. Yeah. Ooh. I got indigestion. <laughs> <laughs> then you roll your tongue from the back then to the front. <laughs> mm, loved the early 2000s. I didn't. That wasn't Young Jeezy, by the way. Yeah. that was. I think that was Little Kim that sang that. I believe. I might be wrong. He was extremely curious, speaking of crack, he was extremely curious about the parts of the body that to him seemed kind of off-putting. And uh, this is a part where you're going to want to start singing hymns up because a part to him that was off-putting was the anus hole. And because he wanted to learn more about it, he then cuts out her anus hole and tries to eat it raw right there. So he cuts around the anus itself. So he's got a, like a miniature donut. Yeah. Like a little miniature fleshy donut. And he tries to eat it raw, but he said that the smell of it made him gag. Good. I just am going to say Good. <laughs> Because, yeah. Yeah, that's where excrement leaves the body. And excrement is traditionally not a pleasant smell. It doesn't smell like jupe. No, it doesn't smell like (laughs) jupe. (laughs) Do you buy your cologne at the dollar store? (laughs) It doesn't smell like curve. We probably just offended a large swath of the audience, though. Oh, I'm sorry. We're sorry. 
some lady just was like, da-da-da, listen to the show, love and can't, da-da-do-do-do, spray, spray, spritz, spritz, the jupe. And then we say that. She's like, I still wear jupe. <laughs> I love it. If anybody ever wonders what I smell like, I smell like jupe. <laughs> I wore aqua de Joe up until like 10 years ago. Yeah, fucking French. <laughs> Which is just aqua dojo. <laughs> so he tries to eat her asshole raw, but the smell makes him gag. So then he tries to fry the asshole in a pan with oil. He takes this little miniature donut and he puts it in a pan with oil and he tries to eat it again, but the smell of the poop hadn't gone away and he starts gagging again. We've heard this from other cannibals, though, that they're like, they're, they're like nope, can't do it. On certain parts of the body, they're like, nope, doesn't matter how you, how you cook it. Just can't do it. Yeah. Can't do it. I mean, this is honestly, this is just something you got to accept. You know, when you're eating ass, you got to push through it. Yeah. See, see, to me, if we're talking, even if you're eating ass the old fashioned way, this is just something you've got to, you need to accept it going in and you got to push through it. Here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. And I just don't understand. It, it's like a trend now. Like everybody, on, like, you know, I, I, I TikTok has ruined our children because TikTok makes talking about eating that part of the body so common that 14-year-olds think that that's what you should be Normal. doing. Yeah. Normal sexual behavior. Yeah. So, to be fair, little Kim was singing about it in the early 2000s. Anybody yeah. sing that song again? No. No, I, I heard it the first time. <laughs> but, but it's... But it, it seems like a game ender to me. Like, like you got to just go shower wash up after because you can't go down there and and imbue your whole face with that that uh, aromatic essence i mean you can and then come back up and expect somebody to kiss you guess you're just not freaky enough your eyes just your eyes just flitted back and forth like you were recalling you were recalling a memory <laughs> so i'm i'm gonna stop it here and just say i guess to to ochazine right to ochazine Oof. <laughs> I saw your well, eyes. <laughs> I'm just going to push forward. Uh, by the time he was finished eating the corpse, and the only reason he stopped was because decomposition. But So by the time he felt the body had reached a point where it was decomposed too far for him to risk his own health, he had successfully eaten about 40% of Renee's body. Wow. And you're thinking, this little bitty four foot nine, skinny, scrawny, frail Japanese man ate 40% of her. But how? You're, you're probably wondering that. But the Japanese are traditionally powerhouses in the competitive e eating world. This is true. Takeru Kobayashi, for example. Yep. Is considered the godfather of competitive eating. And he is also a small Japanese man. Uh, and I'll just tell you how much of a trooper, how much of an athlete this guy is. Despite a jaw injury while training in 2007... He still ate 63 hot dogs that year in a hot dog eating contest. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Eventually, the fully, he fully healed his jaw from the horrible injuries, and he was able to eat 14 Twinkies in one minute on the Wendy Williams show in 2012. That man's got, got power. He also created what is called the Solomon Method for eating hot dogs during competition, and it's a method that all professional competitive eating athletes utilized today the solomon method and uh you're probably wondering well kent what is the solomon method i got you that consists of ripping 
the hot dog and bun in half. So you got two halves of a hot dog and bun. And then you dunk them both in water and completely saturate them, getting the water all, or getting the bread mushy and wet. And then you take both halves and shove them in the mouth simultaneously at once. And this is called the Solomon Method. And if anybody can break down why they call this the Solomon Method, I feel like it's you up. What do you think? Where do you think that originates from? I'm going to go with a, a, a massive eater, professional massive eater. With the last name of Solomon, that you would be completely incorrect. Wow, they they I don't know how. Considering the guy that that uh, that created this technique is Japanese, I don't yeah. know how it ended up being called the Solomon method because it comes from the famous King Solomon story from the Bible. Oh, cutting the baby in half. Cutting the baby in half. Oh, yes. weird. Really? That's an odd flex there. That doesn't. Yeah. How that happened, I don't know, but. Regardless, what an athlete. Yes, we that's undeniable. Takuru Kabayashi. Yeah, that's definitely undeniable. Now, throughout all of this process of the cutting and the eating and the cooking and all that, I say he, he took pictures of every stage of the process. Polaroids. Uh, at one point, he takes all of her clothing and belongings and disposes of them, which aside from her pants, which he kept as a trophy. So he did keep her pants as a trophy. And like I said, after several days, what was left of the corpse starts decomposing and smelling awful. It's also by now attracting a lot of flies. And uh, on Monday, June 15th, he goes out and buys two suitcases. He then chops up what is left of the body with a hatchet, packs those two suitcases full of, of her body. And, uh, and he, he does claim, though, that while he's cutting her corpse up and, and shoving it into these suitcases... Uh, the process made him super horny, so he used her her separated hand to to jerk himself off before th- tossing it back into the suitcase. Wow! Once more. Wow! 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 How are you doing over there, up? Yeah, just uh, fl- I'm f- I'm uh, I'm I'm flitting in and out of consciousness. I believe would be the best way to put it. From excitement? Um. Uh. No. What makes you? What would make you so horny that you would faint? Tell you what. He then takes a taxi. He calls a taxi, and the taxi comes and picks him up. He tells the taxi driver, I want to go to a local park. And ironically, when the cab driver arrives there, he helps Isay load the suitcases into the trunk, and he says, quote, What you got in here, a body? (laughs) (laughs) Funny. Chortle, chortle. But I say having shit for a sense of humor tells the cabbie that they were just, no, it's not a body. These are just full of books. Yes, that's about as heavy. The cab driver takes him to the park and drops him off, drops him and his suitcases off at, and once again, this is how uh, an American or, or somebody uh, that isn't French would read this, the Boudet Baloney Lake. <laughs> Drops him off at the Boudet Baloney Lake. Uh, but in French, it's Boudet Baloney. <laughs> I like your way of saying it better. So he drops him off at the Boudet Baloney Lake <laughs> at around 8 p.m. or the Boudet Baloney. So he drops him off at the Boudet Baloney Lake at 8 p.m. with his two suitcases. Now, his plan was he was just going to throw these two suitcases into the water. And mm-hmm. be done with it. Yep. 
because once again, this is the dumbest smart person that has ever lived. But since it was the middle of summer, and even though it's 8 p.m., there's still daylight out, and this lake was a hot tourist attraction, and it's in the middle of a park, there are still a lot of people out walking around and sunbathing. Also, on the opposite side of this lake is a cafe built on the lake. Not an ideal place to dispose of a corpse in daylight. Not really. Not at all. (laughs) So I say he, he, he walks around this lake with these two suitcases, he lugs the suitcases, right? And it was very obvious. He said that later he would say in interviews that people were staring at him because it looks like he's carrying around uh, 200-pound suitcases. Uh, why is this guy here? What is he doing with that? I could imagine that would get some looks. I would say. Now, how I say gets caught is a, for whatever reason, I don't understand why, a product of much, uh, there are several different stories. Uh, there's one story that says he gets tired halfway through looking for a place on this lake. He stops at a bench and sets these suitcases near the bench, and he falls asleep at the bench. And somebody walking by notices blood or a hand sticking out, and then they open it up, they find her, they scream, he wakes up, and he walks off. Hmm. It seems to me... That the most reported story, though, is this one. So this is the one I'm going to go with, but I wanted to put only out there that that story is also there. I say starts to try to dispose of one of the suitcases down this um, grassy ramp to the lake. And as he's pushing one down this ramp to the lake, he leaves one at the top of the hill. And as that suitcase is sitting at the top of the hill, a uh, pedestrian walking by sees it and yells down to I say and ask him if it was his if it was his. I say said no, that it wasn't his, and then that man leaned down and unzipped it, and inside, of course, he finds half of Renee's body. Regardless of which of these two stories is true, whenever the uh, the pedestrian opens the suitcase, they did scream murderer at the top of their lungs to nobody in particular, and I say just strolls off. He just walks away. Weird. As you would, maybe, I guess. Yeah. But he doesn't walk away in a panic or anything. He's very nonchalant about everything, even today, which I think kind of leads to the sociopathy yeah. theory. The police, this is a pretty simple case to crack. The police were able to track down the luggage purchase as well as, you know, the cab ride, the cab driver that took Asay to the to the park. He comes forward. He's like, hey, I helped a little Asian man haul two extremely heavy suitcases to the park, those suitcases that you guys found. And on June 17th, four days after Isay's attempt to dispose of those remains, the police do show up at his apartment with a search warrant, and they find what is left of Renee in the fridge and freezer still. He immediately folds and confesses to murdering Renee Hartvelt and starts claiming that he has suffered from mental illnesses his entire life. I wouldn't disagree with that, I guess. You know, his so for all for all the love and attention and you know keeping him safe that his mom mother did. She never, like, got him, like... Any help? Yeah, psychological help or counseling. I think that also that's probably, especially at the time, taboo in Japan. Yeah, you don't want... Mental health. Yeah, I can see that. You're right. Okay. Now, honestly, everything that happened after the murder, I I could do two podcasts on. Today, I wanted to focus mostly, and this is... I'm not going to do a part two of us of uh, I say Sagawa, but I mean, everything that he, he never murdered anybody else. He never even broke the law again after this, but his life after the murder is super interesting. 
and uh, both interesting and infuriating. But we will go into it a little bit here. Um, but we're about to wrap it up because the judge found I say not fit to stand trial and ordered him to the Paul Giro Asylum, and that that time was to be spent there indefinitely. So hopefully forever. But after being held without a trial for two years, the French citizens became outraged that they were paying to house this murderer from Japan. And then I say his daddy used his wealth and connections and power to have him transferred to a psychiatric facility in Japan. But here's the thing. In 1984, the French authorities drop all the charges against him so that they can have him transferred to the Japanese hospital for the mentally ill. So, in order for him to be transferred to Japan, they have to drop the charges. They say, yeah, you'll just keep him there at the hospital in Japan. And then the psychiatrist at, he was transferred, by the way, to the uh, Meizizawa Psychiatric Hospital there in Japan. The psychiatric, uh, the psychiatrist there, he found Asay to be sane and believed that he should be in prison. But since France had dropped the charges against him and sealed the files, they couldn't charge him with anything and he was then set free with mm. no restrictions whatsoever. And on August 12th, 1986, Isaiah Sagawa just checked himself out of the Metsuzua Psychiatric Hospital and strode off into freedom with no uh, restrictions whatsoever. Yeah, this is, you know, this is where I have, uh, I have immediate mixed feelings because on the one hand, I, situationally and case by case, it drives me crazy when when somebody like this walks free. And on the other hand, I am so I don't know oddly grateful that that we live in societies still where the law trumps our feelings. And if the law can't hold you, that you get to walk. It, it, it's yeah, it's a relief that we still hold to some standards that we, but don't it doesn't just, always work to an advantage. It doesn't, it doesn't. And so, ugh. but yeah, it's a very, very hard, you know, back and forth there. Now it's getting ready to get more infuriating to you. Cause immediately afterwards, uh, he got released. He wrote a letter to the butcher. Remember the butcher on the cruise ship? Yeah. He wrote a letter thanking him for all of the knowledge that he had passed on oh, to I say, geez, he was very proud of what he had done. To Renee, he still is to this day, and uh, the butcher never responded. He is very open about the fact that he has no feelings, no bad feelings about what happened to Renee, and he's proud of it. Wow, very open about it. That's crazy. Not long after his release, a magazine contacted I say, knowing that he had a background in literature, and asked him to write an article about a rapist that had been recently caught. They paid him a ridiculous amount of money as kind of an expert on the t- subject is that yes wow that's like um was it was it ted bundy who was who offered to try to help the catch the green river killer i think or or btk or one of them anyway uh, yeah they're always offering their remember. services but uh, uh i think it was btk actually yeah not long after that article op a manga producer turned Isaiah's experiences into a comic book with Isaiah's help. Oh, my gosh. So the murder of Renee Hartvelt was turned into a comic book, and uh, Isaiah was uh, overlooking the drawings and everything for it. 
And for this, they gave, I say, a ridiculous amount of money. How, how is it that, um, you know, the normal man has to schlep it every day, you know, as a graphic designer or a podcast or a metal fabricator? These guys go out and do that, and then society pays them a bunch of money. Yeah, you just got to eat or try. You don't even have to eat it. Just try to eat one asshole. Try to eat one, and we'll pay you money. Yeah. Sounds about par for the course with today's society. Society. Yeah, we do make people like those dumbass island boys famous. Oh, my gosh. We you do know the, make people like the Catch Me Outside girl famous. Exactly. The island. I, I'm proud to say the only videos I've ever seen with the island boys in it are videos of people mocking the island boys. That's all. That's all I've ever seen. And they they look they look like they were both dropped on their head. I mean, they yeah. look so... And then they rolled over into a newspaper printing <laughs> facility. <laughs> a sticker printing facility. One that, yeah. you know, at the, at, at the, at the entrance to a, to a barbecue restaurant, the one where you, your kid puts quarters in it and gets the stickers that are all crumpled inside of the little plastic egg. Exactly. That's yeah. the designs that are on their faces. Oh, uh, by the way, uh, then I say starts releasing his own books. His first was a detailed retelling of his murder and cannibalism of Renee Hartfelt. It included pictures that he had taken while he was doing it, and it made him a lot of money. Uh, Sold over 200,000 copies. And really? I say is now a rich celebrity in Japan. Just stop already. You know what? You get what you you get what you uh, you get what you pay for. You're willing to pay for that. There you go, society. Not long afterwards, he published a book with all of his psychiatric reports, as well as more of the gruesome photos of the crime scene that he himself had taken, and it had police photos taken. He made a ridiculous money, amount of money off of this. You know, you you bring up a good point. Like when I'm researching a case, I'm I'm oftentimes looking for the case uh the the crime scene photos you know the stuff that the police take but probably in so many of these cases there are cell phones with video and 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 you know uh shoe shoe boxes full of photos that the killers themselves took that that never see the light of yeah. day again yeah yeah especially in Dahmer's case there was shitloads of polaroids in Dahmer's apartment mm. and most of them have never seen the light of day you can see some of them on Google if you search it. But. Do you want me to tell you a, a, a one dad joke to end the thing? Um, yeah. What happens when a polar bear sits too long on the ice? What? He gets Polaroids. So bad. <laughs> Doesn't even smile. That's so stupid. <laughs> Uh, so the media is loving Isay. They, they, he's a celebrity. He loves the attention, too. And not long after this, he starts doing porn films. What? He starts doing pornos where uh, it's always cannibal porn where he pretends to bite his partners. Uh, they also did one. It's almost like a surprise porn where the uh, porn actress shows up not knowing who he is. And then she has sex with him three times. And then afterwards, they tell her who he is and what he had done, and it was all to catch her reaction, the gotcha moment where she realizes she had just banged uh, a legitimate murdering cannibal. 
And what was her reaction? She was horrified because they show her by they show her they tell her who he is by showing her the pictures that he had taken of Renee Hartvelt's corpse. Oh my gosh! Wow! And you can see when they're telling her in the video, she's uh, she starts covering her legs with a blanket. Ah, she's because she's like horrified and uh, outside in the car and i seen the video he starts she starts crying i would say that that is very similar to like revenge porn which is illegal except they're getting revenge on somebody that did nothing to them so yeah this, this it's is just the, a young lady trying to get by it's the innocence just, of the oh gosh well, wow. i would argue another she's just another victim yeah exactly say. yeah exactly she might not be getting murdered or cannibalized or raped or anything, but still being super victimized. Oh, man. Yeah. Just. Oh, by the way, I, um, I say made a ridiculous amount of money off of these porn movies. Yeah. Why am I not surprised? In 1993, he meets up uh, through, a, through, a mu- through a mutual contact, a white German man. Uh, he meets up with two young ladies by the name, two white ladies by the name of Rhonda and Talia. And uh, he starts traveling the world with these two girls. And together they went to Canada, Mexico, India, Iceland, just traveling and living his best life that he could possibly live with these two girls who uh, were using him for his money and to travel and uh, who he later suspected were actually lesbians and not interested in him whatsoever. Now, he never killed anybody else. He never killed anybody else. That we're aware of. That we're aware of. But similar to Bam Margera or anybody from White Snake, there's always a handler. Once you start making money, there's always a handler to kind of cover your crimes. Yeah. So, Especially when you're a celebrity. Yeah. Yeah. Although I kind of feel like society's willing to pay him a lot of money and hope that he does something terrible again so they can double down on the money that they make off of him. Yes. I would agree with that. Terrible. We're going to fast forward now to 2005. Isaiah blew through all his money on the on the world travels. He is now broke. Both of his parents die in 2005, almost back to back. And it's here that he moves in to public housing and starts receiving welfare benefits. In 2013, he is hospitalized after a cerebral infarction, which damages his nervous system. And uh, today, he is now 72 years old. And under the full-time care of his brother, he did uh, recently do an interview where he said that he he had graduated. He's now graduated from Western women, and is now only interested in Japanese women from Okinawa, particularly specifically. Oh. Um, during that interview, he does point to a picture of a Japanese actress and says that he just wants to bury his face in her armpit and die, and he prefers to be killed. By beautiful women. He wants nothing more than to die than to die now. He also says that up until a few years ago, that he still absolutely gets the cannibalistic urges. And they're still there. It's not none of that has changed. He said that up until a few years ago, in order to get rid of those urges momentarily, he would jerk off and that would make them go away for a moment. But he said that a few years ago he got erectile dysfunction and now he can't release that steam anymore and that he is very concerned. He may one day attack and kill again. Well, <laughs> at least he's honest. Yeah, and this man's just, you know, free. Just out. Just out running around and having a good old time. Yep. 
You ever heard yeah. the song Too Much Blood by the Rolling Stones up? No. Uh, nope. Nope. There's a part in the song that's about Asai Sagawa, and I'm going to read the lyrics now. Everything you see on the movie screen is tame. Everything's going to be arranged. A friend of mine was this Japanese who had a girlfriend in Paris. He had, he, he had to date her for six months, and eventually she said yes. You know, he took her to his apartment, cut off her head, put the rest of her body in the refrigerator, ate her piece by piece, put her in the refrigerator, put her in the freezer, and when he ate her, he took her bones to the baloney bridge. He actually says the <laughs> boy de balon. Right. <laughs> and by chance, a taxi driver noticed him bearing the bones. You don't believe me? Truth is stranger than fiction. We drive through there every day. Uh, I would argue a terrible song, terrible song by the Rolling Stones. None of it rhymes, and most of it is factually inaccurate. So, <laughs> and then, ironically, after most of this is lies, like it was his girlfriend. No, she wasn't. She was interested in him. Ironically, after most of these lies, the Rolling Stones then go, "You don't believe me? Truth is stranger than fiction." That was the lyrics. That was the lyrics. Be- or or those were the lyrics, but uh, because that is the worst set of lyrics I've yeah. ever heard in my life. Yeah. Wow. And that is the song Too Much Blood by the Rolling Stones about Asai Sagawa. Very stupid. And that's all I've got on Asai Sagawa. Uh, he's, he's still alive today, still has urges that he can no longer suppress with jerking off, and he himself is concerned that he's going to eat another young lady. Uh, one day, so that's so that's that. Well, at least, at least we know. We know. What I do want to say one other thing, though. I usually close out uh, these episodes with requests of reviews and ratings and all that horseshit, right? Mm-hmm. Not tonight. Okay. Not tonight. To the surprise of likely nobody, we are pretty big on freedom of speech. Yeah. At TCK, and that being said, there is a fantastic content creator out there. By the name of Deadbug. Deadbug says on YouTube, particularly, uh, and he is being lowballed by YouTube and essentially shadow banned. If you're wondering who Deadbug is, he provides the most brutal and grotesque cases of true crime in the most hardcore and in-your-face style possible. Uh, you probably remember him uh, by the interview that I did with him uh, a while back on a TCK Extra where I interviewed Deadbug. Now, he's somebody that I consider a, a friend and somebody that I want to help if possible. And he hasn't asked us to do this. He hasn't asked me to do this. This is all on my own accord. So with that being said, tonight, this morning, this evening, whenever you're listening to this, uh, do not rate and review TCK. Don't worry about us. We're doing fine. Instead, go to Patreon, find Deadbug on there, Deadbug, and just subscribe to his Patreon, even if it's just the $1 tier per month. Just the $1 per month tier you get a lot of content for that one dollar a lot of a lot of bonus content and it's worth every single dollar one dollar a month you spend more than that on a coffee or whatever i don't know they always say that for for less than the cost of a cup of coffee (laughs) um it would help him out a hell of a whole lot he deserves it he's a good dude and uh, youtube is trying to choke him out in every way possible Uh, and if you're not a fan of people being silenced i would say don't let that happen and go give him uh, your one dollar a month and and help kind of combat this bullshit. So, 
in case you're wondering, well, what am I up? What am I in for by experiencing his content? I will say that I have I have around 25 years of marketing and production experience. And Deadbug in his professional life during the daylight hours is probably one of the most apex predators in the fi- in 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 film and TV yes and directorial efforts and production that I that I've ever personally been able to interact with um I was talking to him the other day and just like just like talking about what he had for lunch he was like hey I'll get I'm we're doing his podcast. 1159 is producing and distributing his podcast uh, coming up here very soon. We're working on, on getting the first initial episodes up and out for live, and it will be free on wherever you listen to podcasts. But um, I'm talking with him, and he's like, hey, I'll, I'll be able to get to this thing that, that we need to get done. As soon as I'm done with the Insane Clown Posse video, yeah and i was like naturally (laughs) the dude is a director for hire like a a hired gun director by the bbc and food i mean in his real very impressive resume oh my gosh dude you have it's unbelievable and then he turns around and and produces under the name dead bug these very captivating youtube videos and to come very captivating podcast episodes and yes i would a hundred percent agree with kent that uh to to support him even with my um what would you call pearl clutching and everything when i listen to what he's doing it's more than just hearing somebody talk in an edgy way it's somebody who is currently saying exactly what he wants in spite of the world telling us what we can and can't say. And I, it for nothing else, that is so refreshing. It is. Uh, it's yeah. hardcore. Genuineness is so rare. It's really hard. It can be hard to listen to some of it. I mean, he, he really digs deep, you know. But um, it's so, it really is. It's refreshing to hear somebody speak i would so rather listen to that though than somebody else going full body chills <laughs> yeah full <laughs> body chills <laughs> like feigning you know outrage i would take a hundred thousand dead bugs over one call me daddy <laughs> just saying and that's it up uh, that's what we got all right well i'm calling you tomorrow don't please i'm gonna i love you and <laughs>